Hello, and welcome to Revolution 22's teaching podcast. We are a church from the downtown area in Boise, Idaho. Thank you for joining us today and hearing this week's sermon. We pray that God's word will be received and will bear fruit in your life. Good morning. Good to be with you all today on this very hot Sunday morning. I think at one point I saw it was supposed to be like 107 degrees today. And I was actually, I was driving my cousin Eli's truck yesterday, which doesn't have air conditioning. And I, I can't complain because I was driving his truck because my car was having its own problems. But I was sitting there and I was thinking back to like April when I was standing outside coaching baseball when it was snowing sideways. And I remember in, back in April, and I was like, all right, once it gets hot, I am not going to complain about being hot. But there I was yesterday, sweating, driving a car, uh, complaining about how hot it was this summer. Um, but anyways, my name is Jack Morgan. Uh, I serve as the youth director here at Rev. And again, if you're, if you're new here, um, I promise this, I'm not up here every week. So you don't have to worry about that. We actually have an awesome guy that's preaching next week that I see over there, Mr. Anthony Higgins. I'm excited about about that. Um, and yeah, I, I always get asked when, when I do this, like, oh, are you, are you ready? Are you excited? Are you nervous? And I, I really don't get that nervous, but whenever someone asks me, I'm always like, oh, but sh- should I be nervous? Uh, I don't know. It's, it's very funny. Um, but I'm grateful to be up here this morning sharing the Word of God uh, out of Romans 4 with you all this morning, and I'm just going to pray to get us started really quick. So. Dear Lord, thank you for this time that we get to gather together uh, as believers. Thank you for uh, this space that we have, uh, that we are able to just um, freely worship you and, and talk about uh, your goodness, Lord. And I pray that uh, you just open our hearts um, to what you have to say to us out of this text and um, that we just come out of here with a more deeper admiration for you. I pray all this in your name. Amen. So the past couple of weeks, we've been going over the book of Romans. Uh, we've been doing a, a pretty high-level overview of Romans, doing about a chapter a week. Uh, Ryan Eagy did chapters 1, 2, and 3. He's out of town this week with his oldest daughter, who just graduated from high school. So I'm excited again to ch- share and talk about chapter 4 with you all today. And as I was preparing for chapter 4, uh, I, I thought it paired pretty well with chapter 3 that we talked about last week, but the more that I read 3 and 4, it, it actually has a lot of similarities to chapter 2 in Romans that we talked about a couple weeks ago. And as a refresher, in, in chapter 2, Paul talked about God's condemnation for the Jewish people uh, and, and, and the condemnation for us as well, but this, that this Jewish people, how they have these, this false confidence that they are God's chosen people, and that means that they are just automatically saved. Uh, or for us, it's because we, we, when, we, when we call ourselves a Christians, that somehow we are above everybody else in the world, and that, that they are the ones that, that need Jesus, but our, ourselves, we don't need that. And so today we learn how the, the Jews have failed and what true circumcision is. And so we're going to look back at a similar problem that the Jews had uh, and, and that we have today, but through the lens of Abraham. And I thought it was pretty cool that Paul decides to use 
a, a pretty famous person in the Bible as his example to get this point across. Uh, this probably wasn't it probably isn't a surprise to many people, but I learned how to read through baseball. I learned to read by list, or reading the sports page of the newspaper. Uh, and I remember being in fourth grade. I had this fourth grade teacher. His name was Mr. Nelson. And Mr. Nelson loved baseball. So I obviously loved Mr. Nelson. And I wouldn't really read the books that just normal kids were reading. And so he gave me these books of this kid who could time travel back to famous events in baseball. And once he gave me those books, I just couldn't stop reading. And I, I, I loved those books. And uh, I think that's kind of what Paul is doing here is he's giving us this character study to, to help us better understand what he's talking about. And, and to me, that's pretty practical. It makes sense. I'm glad that he uses that. That's how I learn best with important things is you can kind of tell me uh, however much you want, but if I, I, when I see an example, that's kind of how it, it makes more sense to me. And I also think it's funny because uh, the kids in here that are in youth group are, are going mi- like, to find this pretty familiar because we've been going through and doing a, a character study series on heroes of our faith for the past couple months. Uh, but Paul is, Paul is using Abraham as an example to explain what true justification is and how God has had this set up since the beginning. So before we get into Romans, I think a little backstory, a little refresher on Abraham uh, would be helpful. You can find his full story in the Bible. We first meet him in Genesis 11, and he is there until Genesis 25. And Abraham is the most mentioned Old Testament person in the New Testament besides Moses. He also has one of the most catchy children's songs written out after him. Um, I know most of you, when I mentioned Abraham, are probably humming Father Abraham right now. I'm not going to make us all get up and, and dance, but um, if you go down to the kids' classes, uh, yeah, we have a pretty good time down there singing Father Abraham. But Father Abraham is the father of, of the Jewish people, and we don't have much information about the beginning portions of his life. He, he, when we first meet him in the Bible, he's already 70 years old. He's living in the land of Ur, which is on the Euphrates River, and is most likely an an idol worshiper living in in Babylonian land. But in in Genesis 12, we see God's call to Abraham. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and he who dishonors you I will curse. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so we see Abraham's first real major act of faith here. This is a time where families were very close. They didn't just leave each other. And, I mean, you usually stayed and lived with your family your entire life. So for him to just get, get this call from God, get up and leave, uh, was a big deal. But he, he does. He leaves his, his family and follows for what God has for him and to the land that God has promised for him and his descendants. God calls Abraham into a relationship with him and promises to bless all the people through his descendants. And then we also see a couple other examples of Abraham's faith with his son Isaac. So as most of you probably know the story of Abraham, he and his wife Sarah were, were childish. Uh, they sh- struggled with uh, infertility, and which was in that culture was was pretty shameful, 
And they were both very old at the time that God had promised them a child. And he had promised that, that they would be the heir to all that God had promised Abraham. And, and Abraham, God, God gives his promise to Abraham that he'll have as many descendants as the stars in the sky and the sand on the beach. And, and Abraham continues to trust God and does not waver in his faith, believes that God will give them a child, and they have their son Isaac. And then in Genesis 22, God tells Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. And this has always been one of the most influential stories of the Bible for me. Uh, if, I, I encourage everyone to go back and, and, and read this part. But it, when, when Isaac, you know, they're, they're going up to, to, to the altar to sacrifice, and Isaac asks the question to his dad. He goes, where is the, where is the, the, the animal that we're going to sacrifice? And that, yeah, that part is just, is just brutal for me. I can't imagine what Abraham felt when God had him go up there and do that. But then the relief that he also feels when God stops him from sacrificing his son, he turns around and he sees the, the, the ram standing there to sacrifice instead. And so I mentioned that we've been talking about these, we've been going through this Heroes series, is what we're calling it at Youth Group. And we always ask the question every week, we say, what can we learn from blank? What can we learn from this hero that we talked about? And so what can we learn from Abraham? I think the example, or that the, the, the answer is pretty clear. And that is that we can take away his faith. And not just the faith that, oh, God will protect me, you know, I, I, I'm... I, I'm not going to, nothing ever bad will ever happen to me. Abraham's faith is the assurance that God's sovereign plan is, is greater than our own and that we need to fully give our lives to him. And I think it's easy for us, at least for me, to see these examples of great faith and think, oh, well, if I lived back then when Abraham was alive like, and, and God spoke to me as clearly as, as he did to Abraham, then I would definitely follow and know exactly what he did. But we have all the truth that we need in our, in our Bibles and all the evidence for that, but I still sin and fall short of God. And it's the faith that we have in Jesus that saves us for our sins and where we're destined to go because of that. So back to Romans 4. Last week in, in chapter 3, Ryan talked about how we are justified and declared righteous because of the faith that we have in Jesus. And again, this is what Paul is going to do. He's going to repeat himself in chapter 4 and use Abraham as this big example. And Abraham had become this legendary figure and example for the Jewish people. And, and, and they did look to him as an example, but not in the way that God had intended them to look at Abraham for. He wanted them to look at Abraham as an example of their faith, but what the Jewish people instead were doing is saying, oh, wow, Abraham was, was awesome. He, he did so much, and now we don't have to do anything. We're, we're a part of God's chosen people, and now we're good. We, we, because of what Abraham did, we, we don't have to really follow Abraham. We can do whatever we want, but now that we are under this, we, we're good. And they, were, they thought this because, uh, as a sign of their covenant, they were to be circumcised. And, and circumcision was... One of the most highly debated topics, if not the most highly debated topic in the early church. And I don't know about you guys, but I don't have a whole lot of circumcision talk at the coffee shops and meetings that I have. Uh, but God had, again, commanded his people, the Jews, to be circumcised as a sign of his covenant with them. And when 
after Jesus had ascended into heaven, they were going out and, and sharing the gospel, this early church. And that was the big question is, do you need to be circumcised in order to be saved? And we find in Acts 15, the, the, the answer. And it says in verse seven, it says, after there had been much debate, debate literally about if circumcision should be, is necessary for salvation. Peter stood up and said to them, brothers, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their heart by faith. Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus, just as they will. I, I love how clear Peter makes that for us in Acts. He says that God knows our hearts, that he gave us the Holy Spirit, and then if we can believe in that, that we will be saved by grace through faith. So then Paul says in, back in Romans 4, in verses 10 through 12, he says, how then was it counted to him? And now he's talking about Abraham. So Paul is going back and talking uh, about it through Abraham. He says, how was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them. And to make him the father of all the circ- of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So Paul is like, I imagine him kind of shaking the Jewish people and being like, Abraham was not a part of your people group that you take so much pride in when he had the faith that saved him. So how in the world can you be prideful of that? Abraham was declared righteous before he was circumcised. It, it, it's estimated it's like 15 years before he ended up be, being in a part of this people group. So I, I just think it's, it's so funny, and that's what Paul is, is, is really getting at here. It, shows that the, it also shows that Gentiles are saved by faith alone, that circumcision does not matter, and anyone can be saved. He's using, Paul is using Abraham to show the Jewish people and us, that we have no room to be prideful in our lives because we are not saved based on the group of people that we belong to or if we are circumcised like the Jewish people wanted to believe. Or maybe for us, it's because we want to believe that because we come to church on Sundays or we go to enough Bible studies, that that is going to get us saved. But in reality, it is the grace of our loving Father through faith. And so I want to talk a little bit about the difference between circumcision and works of the law. So I have this little graphic up here. If you're listening on the podcast, I'm, I'm sorry, I can send this to you or something. But uh, as you can see on the left, this is kind of where the, the Jewish people are at. And as you see in the, in the left circle under the law, there is circumcision in the law. And this is what's happened in the past. So this is what, what they believe you know, gets them to salvation. This is what has happened in their life in the past. They believe that they are part of this people group that, it, that allows them to be saved. And then on the right is the works of the law. That is what's happening in the present. And we'll talk about the works of the law in a minute because that's kind of the next section of Romans 4. But 
this is what the Jewish people were going back and forth in. And it's kind of like a teeter-totter. When you are focusing too much on what has gotten you saved, you need to be focusing on acting out your faith. But then when you are focusing too much on the works, you need to rest in what God has promised with you. And ultimately, what Paul is trying to get at is for them to switch from being underneath the law to being underneath faith. And the problem that circumcision brings up in here is complacency. The works of the law brings out the striving. And Paul is speaking to, directly to the Jewish people using this because their circumcision and works of the law was so important to them. I think this can be really easy, at least for me, to, to kind of gloss over because, like I said earlier, we don't have a ton of coffee shop conversations about that. But I also tend to see these topics in the Bible and, like I said, gloss over them, not pay too much attention to them because I don't think they apply to me today. But we as believers are more like the Jewish people than maybe we think. And what Paul is trying to show us here that we are still going to wrestle with the same problems that we need to do it under the faith instead of under the law. And so back up in Romans 4, verse 4, Paul uses this example. He says, Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And it's kind of, he's kind of using this like employer-employee relationship here. So I, I heard this example. It's like, imagine you work your, your work week. You work 40-hour work week, and your boss comes up to you on Friday evening and hands you a check for the exact amount that you worked that week, the exact amount that you were owed, and says, this is my gift to you. I want to bless you with this money this week. You'd grab the check and be like, uh, yeah, I, I earned this. This is mine. And I think that's what we think being a Christian sometimes is. Like, does God owe us something? Have you ever thought that if you are faithful or obedient enough that God is obligated to protect you from pain or from suffering? And the, the kind of cheesy story that immediately popped in my head when I read this, so I feel like I have to share. I feel like I owe it to you guys. Um, as most of you guys know, I, I played a lot of baseball growing up, and baseball's a lot about failure. You know, if you get a hit three out of ten times in the pros, you're a Hall of Famer. And so I remember playing baseball when I was younger, and I'd be standing there getting up to bat. I'd be staring the pitcher in the eye, and I'd be praying to get a hit. I'd be like, God, I was so nice to my brothers this week. I, I, I told my friend about you this week. Like, come on, please let me, let me get a hit. And, you know, most of the time I'd, I'd probably get out. And, and looking back on that, it, it looks so dumb to, to be praying to God that he would reward me from what I did by getting a hit. But, I, I, I mean, think about it in your own life. When have you felt like God owes you something? Is it maybe it's through financial hardship or, or a health scare? And if you haven't felt like that, will you still believe that God hasn't failed you when hardships come? If we believe that God owes us something, then we don't understand the meaning of his grace. So where do we have pride in signs, in our circumcision, I guess? 
I was trying to think of a good comparison to this, and honestly, I, I, I was pretty confused at first, and I was talking to Ryan last week, and, and, and we thought of it just as, you know, we don't, maybe we don't really realize we have this kind of pride all the time, but it's kind of like us as, as Americans. We have this type of pride that, that we as Christians or as, as the Israelites had, that because of what our founding fathers did or, or the freedom that we have in this country, that we are just better than, than other countries. And for most of us in this room, we didn't do anything to deserve that. We, we, we hit the lottery, or as they say, got lucky that we were born in, in the United States. And the Israelites, they had, had Abraham, this great and legendary example of how to live out your life in faith. But instead, again, they just went, oh, sweet, thank you, Abraham, for doing all that. We're good. And that could be the same pride that we have as Christians. Paul is giving us a warning against being prideful that you are a part of God's kingdom because it has nothing to do with what you have done or the people group that you are a part of. And so now the the second part uh, of Romans 4 is all about having pride in the law or in the works. And as we talked about the difference between circumcision and works of the law earlier, Paul again is going to use Abraham to warn us against being prideful in the law. And I think this, at least for me, is a little bit more practical. Not only did the Jewish people think that they would be saved because of their circumcision, but they also believed that in order to be saved, it was necessary to follow the law. So Paul's counter to this is in verses 14 and 15. And he said, For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no tr- law, there is no transgression. And it's kind of funny, at least to me, the, the, the last time that I was up here speaking, back in February, my title of that sermon, was, it was out of James, it was James 1, 21 through 27, and it was about being doers of the word, or acting out your faith. And so I find it funny that the, that the two times I've been up here, one was about doing what the word says and acting out your faith, and the other is warning us that we are only saved through our faith and not by our works. I think that's a perfect representation of what our faith is. It is not one or the other. To use a, a classic Christian saying, it is both and. and. Paul is explaining why we can't simply be saved through following the law, because if that were the case, then no one would be saved. One theologian said it this way. He goes, if that is the case, that the inheritance is to be based on the adherence to the law, there will be no heirs because no fallen human being can adequately follow the law. Again, I think this is easy for us to understand, because we know that we all fall short. We know that no matter how hard we try, that apart from Jesus, we cannot get there on works alone. And for me, at least, this gives me a lot of comfort. I'm, I'm glad that we're saved by faith and not by our works. But if we know this to be true, if we can all agree that this is how we are saved, we are not saved by works, then we have no grounds for spiritual pride. And and spiritual pride is this idea that we are, you are superior to other people, especially to those who do not believe or do not have this faith. And this idea is, spiritual pride is just, is horrible. And I see it all the time. I I see it in myself. I see it in others around me, others in, in the world. And again, it is, it is so sad because we have no basis for this spiritual pride, because again, we are not saved by our works. 
And if we don't know what spiritual pride is, or maybe you're wondering how you are spiritually prideful in your life, here, here are a couple examples. I am more theologically sound than that person. I know more about the Bible than them. I've sacrificed more. I, I've gave more, more, more money, more of my time. I'm less sinful. I heard a pastor say once that spiritual pride is like carbon monoxide. It is a tasteless, odorless, invisible gas that can kill you. No amount of good work can get us to heaven. No amount of service or of biblical knowledge of giving of money, of giving in time can get us there. And Ryan, Ryan said back in Romans 1 that we want to believe that the gap between us and Jesus, or in, uh, between us and God, isn't that big. And that we just need Jesus to get us to the other side, like, like a drawbridge. And I don't know if you guys have heard that, that analogy before, that if we are standing over here, I remember the first time I heard it, I was at this, this camp, and the speaker did a really good job of explaining how we are on one side, there is a gap that is caused by our sin, and God is on the other side. And that the cross is kind of standing next to us, and when we believe that God has died, or Jesus has died for us, that the cross falls, and that's how we walk on the other side to Jesus. And it, it, it is really helpful, but the truth is that if we're standing here on earth, then God is in another galaxy. That gap between us and God is, is an unfathomable distance. So spiritual pride is kind of like bragging that if we think we are the, the best of the best, that we are standing on the highest point of earth. We're standing on Mount Everest, and we're looking down at someone who's maybe in the base of the Grand Canyon or the, the, the bottom of Mariana's Trench, and we're looking at them and being like, look, look how high I am, God. But the truth is, who, who is closer to touching God in the other galaxy? Neither. No one is, is touching God, and that's how God looks at it. It doesn't matter where, where we think we are. We are not close to touching God here on earth and have fallen way short. That gap is not a simple drawbridge. It, it, is, it is a distance that we can't imagine and that only Jesus can get us to. I think it's pretty easy to disguise this spiritual pride as, as just doing good or being faithful, and that, that's, it's hard to differentiate the two. And so that, I, I know that's something that I struggle with a lot. I often have to take a step back and say to myself, okay, am I doing this just so God will grant me some sort of favor, or am I doing it because I'm truly acting out my faith? It goes back to that balance between complacency and striving that Paul points out through Abraham. And he says in verse 13, he says, for the, promise to Abra- for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. We are not saved because of the good works we do, but because of our faith. So why do we look to Abraham? Paul's usage of Abraham here isn't for us to go, okay, well, if I just do the things that Abraham do, did, or maybe for you it's some other person in the Bible that you look towards, like David, or maybe it's someone in your, in your personal life. If I could just be like my mom or my dad, every one of those people have fallen short. I mean, Abraham sleeps with one of his wife's servants. He, he gave up his wife to sleep with other men multiple times. He, Abraham is far from perfect. And we're not supposed to look towards Abraham because of 
how he follows the law or because he was a part of the right people group. We look to Abraham and to others in the Bible because of their faith, and it's their faith that points us back to Jesus. In 20, verses 20 through 22, Paul says that no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. Again, he's talking about Abraham here. He grew, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. I love what it says in verse 21. Fully convinced. The, the faith that Abraham had had zero doubt. And we can have that same faith. Faith that is apart from works, that is apart from circumcision, that is apart from the law, even apart from from sight. Faith only by the grace of God through Jesus. And Paul's point is that no matter what, we should look towards Jesus and what he did on the cross. In the last four verses, or three verses in this chapter, it says, but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone or for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Paul wants us to understand that going all the way back to Genesis, this was his plan. This was his way to be saved. That we are not saved by works or by circumcision, but we are saved by the faith that we have in Jesus' death and his resurrection. And I love that it stresses the importance of the resurrection here. We often say that, oh, I believe in Jesus that he died for my sins, and maybe leave out the resurrection. But the resurrection of Jesus, without it, there is no faith. We have no hope without the resurrection. When God raises Jesus from the dead, it it, it was him showing us that he accepts Jesus' death as full payment for our sins. That through Christ and those who believe in him, as it says in, in Romans 6, 6, that we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin may be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. That, that through Jesus and our faith in Jesus alone, our sins have been forgiven. We are justified. We are righteous in the eyes of the Father. And it is that the grace of God that our relationship with the Father is fully restored. Let me pray. Dear Lord, thank you for uh, your grace. Thank you that you gave our son Jesus, your son Jesus to die for our sins uh, and that you raised him from the dead, proving that he has no hold on death and that through him, Lord, we are righteous in your eyes and that relationship with you is fully restored. I thank you uh, just for how much you, you love us, Lord, that, that you would do that. Uh, Thank you for this time that we have today. I pray this all in your name. Amen.